buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. Welcome to The Sales Hustle, the only no BS podcast where we bring you the real, raw, uncut experiences from sales change makers across various industries. The only place where you can get what you're looking for to up your sales game. Today's episode is brought to you by SalesCast. SalesCast helps sales professionals transform the relationship building process and win their dream clients. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. All right, what is happening, sales hustlers? Welcome to another episode of Sales Hustle. I got a special guest. I'm going to be speaking with Tizer Evans, who is a podcast host himself and a bit of a sales badass at fixing sales teams. So we're going to jump in. We're going to learn a little bit about Tizer's story uh, briefly, as always, and then we will jump into the tactical stuff and talk shop so that you can up your sales game. Tizer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Colin. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so just tell us the short version of, you know, why the hell did you get into sales? <laughs> well, like any good salesperson, it was uh, 100% on accident. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, I got fired from a job in college working at 24-Hour Fitness, which is a whole weird story in and of itself, right? And so I got fired from that job, uh, which didn't really mean much, just 7 bucks an hour. I'm in the mall with my college roommate at the time. I walked by this surf shop, and I was into surfing. I was in San Diego, and he was like, hey, man, like, uh, you should go work there. And I was like, yeah. Seems like it'd be cool to work at a surf shop. I like surfing. So I yeah. go in there, get the job, and anyway, it's kind of like soft sales, right? It's retail sales. And uh, so I was there two and a half years, and I won some sales awards. And then I was kind of like, ah, maybe I'm kind of good at this. I like talking to people. Mm. It's always been easy. And then after college, I went to work for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and had the same success there. And um, that was a real training boot camp for me in sales and got promoted several times and, and uh, was always a top salesperson. And he got into insurance and kind of just never looked back from there. Mm, okay. So what do you think it is that made you, you know, good at sales early on? Um, when you took that job at, at the surf shop? Dude, well, one, it's just I have a, a tenacious work ethic. I got my first job mm. at 14. Uh, so anybody who's in sales, you got to know that it's, it's a grind, right? I mean, you got to be yeah. willing to put in the effort to get better, but also to put in effort to spend the hours of cultivating prospect lead list. But early on, you didn't have to do that at the surf shop. But what I had a knack was I just, I've never been someone, I it was like a kid. I'd never had that stranger danger. You know, I love talking to people. I love being around people, and I love helping people um, at its core. And so, for me, just to be able to, a mom comes in and they don't know what they're doing, right? They're just looking to buy some board shorts for their kid. And so, for me, to just to help them, and they're looking for one pair of board shorts, and have them walking out with a surfboard and three pairs of shorts, and you know, a couple of t-shirts. So, it's just being able to be be relatable and talking to people is kind of what where I really felt like that was a knack for me, easy to talk to. 
Yeah, yeah. No, something you, you said that kind of stood out is, right, like, so you enjoyed helping people, which I find that, you know, the people that really love sales, um, that are really good at sales, um, that's kind of a common thread is they enjoy helping or serving others, right? And, um, you know, it, and it makes a big difference because people can sense that. They can sense if like you really are trying to help them or helping them achieve their goals or if you're curious, if you're asking the right questions and not just trying to land the sale. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And you spot spot on, you know, the things that I talk about with my team a lot is how to ask great questions or what I call power questions. And so we even, we've gone through several exercises of like what type of questions can you ask to start to lead someone down the sales process down, um, you know, helping you get to where you want to be, but also asking the questions to help them come up to answer themselves. And so I think it's through, through great questions, you become a great salesperson. Oh, I, I agree with that. Can you give us some examples of like, break that down? Like what's, what's a good question that you can ask in your, maybe in your industry or just generally, um, to, you know, be curious enough to show that you're genuinely wanting to help and help them come to the realization that like they really need your help or whatever their product or service is. Sure. So we, we offer a really uh, interesting product where we uh, help people find group health insurance, so major medical insurance. And so our product's a bit different. It's not as widely known. I won't get into the nuances or in the weeds of the product, mm -hmm. but when we call and we target insurance brokers and agencies, and we introduce our product to them. So some of the questions that we'll ask is, you know, when was the last time that you wrote a, a, a group or you helped a client with level funded? And so that's just the name of our product, right? And so that that asking a question like that will get them to talk about, well, I have never used it before. Mm. Or, yeah, Which I leads wrote, to the next best question, right? Exactly. So it's just... Or we, we have a product called reference-based pricing, which has been a real buzzword. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll preface if I got a voicemail, um, I'll leave a, a, a question on the voicemail about reference-based pricing. Hey, I saw some of your competitors in your area were using this type of product, and I was calling to get your thoughts and seeing how you've been implementing similar strategy within your agency. Love to get your take on it. Mm, right? Making yeah. it about them, how are they using it? And a lot of times they're not, but that's the point. Is so then I can come in and be the expert and help to educate them once I've piqued a little bit of an interest. Right. You're trying to intrigue them. You're trying to pique their interest. You're trying to make them curious to want to come and ask you some questions. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But but through those questions, um, you know, you start to find out a lot more about their business. And, and one of the, the my favorite questions of asking a, a broker is talking to them about, you know, how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? Yeah, that makes them really think, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, because they're, they're always asking me, like, right, you know, because I'm trying to differentiate myself from my competitors, but talking to them about how they differentiate themselves from their competitors in the B2B world, then you start to get some insight of what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, that positions us to be able to show a lot of value proposition for our product, but by still making the conversation about them and what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, question stacking is, 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 is a definitely a a great strategy for, you know, being more of a helping sort of mindset rather than just trying to speak, you know, features, benefits, price, and like, why the heck aren't we doing business? And we should be, and we're the best. And here's why, right. Um, right. It's a much different conversation. It's a much more collaborative conversation. You're, you're shining the light on the prospect. You're making the conversation more about them and less about you. 
um, to pique their interest. And then once they start asking you questions, then you have that permission to, to, to pitch, right. Or to give your, your value prop. Um, now, so we talked a little bit about like, these are, I mean, these are all great examples of questions and, 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 and I think people can take these and regardless of what industry or product or service that they do, you can frame it into a way that works for your product or service. Um, but let's talk about some of the common mistakes that you've seen, you know, people that you've worked with mm -hmm. teams that you've managed, um, what sort of questions do you see that they're asking or not asking questions? And what sort of work needs to be done to get them to a place where they're like asking these type of questions that we've been talking about? Yeah, so I mean, that's a great point. A lot of times what happens is reps will call up and they start doing the like you were talking about what I call the interrogation style questioning. <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to do who you're running with? How many groups do you have? Right? And they start going down to this mm. inquisition. And then the moment they find out they're using a competitor, or they're using a different type of product, then they want to start to tell the person how they're wrong. And immediately when you go into telling someone, although you're trying to educate them, right, on like why yeah. that they should see the light and come and use your product or service, you're immediately causing friction because yeah. you're, t you're telling them, right, that what you've been doing actually isn't good. And so on a right. subconscious level, you've created friction and now you're not on the same wavelength. Or they're like, well, what do you mean the decisions I've been making for 10 years are wrong? Yeah, yeah. And then you've got a very, they've got some very negative feelings and emotions which is not going to get you very far, right? So like the last thing you want to tell them is like you made a bad decision. You made the wrong decision, right? And then make them feel bad about that. Like you're not going to get a positive outcome out of making them feel like they made the wrong decision, right? A lot of people – so a better approach – typically is is like you're saying ask questions to help them come to that realization on their own right but if it but if you're doing that question interrogation where you're like obviously trying to point them in the direction that they're they're wrong without them coming to that on their own um you know things can really fall apart in that relationship and it's really hard to recover or build rapport from there a hundred percent yeah it the that's where you get the, the kickback of like, oh, actually, I'm walking into a meeting. Uh, this isn't a good time for me. The moment you start to cause any type of friction, they're immediately going to try to ditch and get off the phone. You're going to have a really hard time engaging that person again on your follow-ups. And I think that usually, especially for young salespeople, they don't understand always where that friction comes from. But then the moment they get the rejection, then that's when they start to get the call reluctancy of like calling that person back the next yeah. week and the week after, right? Because they already feel like, ah, that was kind of a weird vibe. The guy was kind of a dick. They're like, no, he wasn't really yeah. a dick. You just didn't do your job. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully they didn't leave some sort of negative remark in the CRM, right? Because Yeah, you're all God. Oh, man. Yeah. That's the worst. He hung up on me. He was rude. <laughs> you know, like, like, never, 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 never write a negative note in the CRM, right? Yeah, I try to but, tell people in the CRMs where you can you can actually edit, you know, remove stuff. Yeah. I'll tell like reps, I'm like, if you see anything negative there, remove it because you won't remember in 60 days from now. Yeah. Uh, but if you leave it in there, it'll prevent you from calling. Yeah, no, 100%. Now, I think there's, okay, so uh, I love this topic of being curious and asking questions and writing and asking the right questions in, 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 um, you know, building these relationships with your prospects or your clients or, or who, whatever the case is, right? So, um, but sometimes you can ask too many questions, right? Mm -hmm. So like when you talked about that, you know, question interrogation, right? Or I think what some reps can struggle with that I've seen is 
knowing what question leads to the next question, right? Because like when you go with this sort of approach, you know, there's not necessarily like a linear path of like you ask this and then you ask this, you know, their response leads to the next potential. You're framing the next question or response based on what came out of, you know, the previous, what you learned or what they told you, what they shared with you or how they answered the previous question. Yeah, no, you're right. It totally does. Um, and this is why I think it's important because there is no direct path to getting to the end exactly. result. Right. And, and so this is why it's really, really important for me. And I, you know, this, I can only speak from my experience, but like I, I know for a fact in our company, I'm the only sales manager that holds a sales meeting every single day. And I do that very intentionally and tactfully because education is constant. And so every day we do sales training from 8 to 8.30 in my office. And it, it would be different. Sometimes I, I subscribe to Cardone University, so we'll watch videos on Grant Cardone. Uh, I subscribe to Sales Gravy with Jeb Blunt, so sometimes we'll watch Jeb or some of his guests. Uh, we listen to Darren Hardy videos. And oftentimes we'll do role play. Mm. And I think that this is getting back to your question, is that when you role play and you do it often and you do it frequently, you know, I have my guys that have been here for 30 years or for 10 years. They still role play because at least it gives you the experience that me, because I'm always I'm always the broker, right? I'm going to take you in a million different directions. So when you get taken in a million different directions on the phone, you've already had a similar experience. So you know where to pivot and then what questions to ask because you've asked questions maybe in a different sequence, but you know that this question will lead here. So I think role playing is one of those things that's really underutilized and it's people do it a lot at the beginning when they're new, but then they kind of let go of it. And I think it has to be constant. Yeah, I agree with role playing. And just to add to that is like reviewing your calls. Mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of people I mean, there's like great technology out there that makes it even easier that collects the data, makes it really easy to review your calls. Um, but I think that, you know, I'm I'm a big believer that like, not just the calls that went well, but like the calls that really you totally, you know, shit the bed, like the calls that went horrible. Oh, like yeah. those are the calls that you're going to learn the most out of. I'm not a sports guy. Right. But like athletes review their game tape. Right. So that they can get better. And like if you really want to be a sales professional that's performing at the highest level all the time, you should always, always be open to learning something, improving, getting better. And I think as soon as you stop being open to learning, that's when you're going to plateau. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. To be always be open to learning, reviewing your calls is important, but just like you're talking about with the analogy of an athlete, it's like, if you went to Michael Jordan and you said, Hey, what did you shoot? You know, your, your, what was your field goal percentage last year or your free throws or your, your three point, how many steals they're going to know every single stat about themselves and where they're trying to improve, where their weak spots are. And then that's what they're focused on in the off season. Well, sales, we don't really get an off season, right? But um, understanding your metrics as well. So when you're reviewing your calls, you're understanding your metrics, then you know what to work on specifically in your next calls or in your next role play. You know, I always, I always study all the conversion ratios because we have, you know, in the sales process, there's a lot of different steps, especially in our business. There's like four different steps you have to get to, to get to the sale. So I look at maybe a, a rep is really great at making intro calls and getting to the first RFP, another first quote proposal but they have a really hard time getting to the next step. So by me understanding their metrics and their conversion ratios, I can say, well, hey, man, you, have a, you get a great job of getting into the quotes. 
you have a hard time getting to this step. But then the last step, you have a great closing ratio. So we need to we need to tighten up your game here in this part of the sales process. So let's the next time you're on this type of review, I want you to record your next five conversations and we'll review them. And then we can also role play just on this specific topic to help you get better at that weak point. Mm, yeah, no, I love that. I love that. So, I mean, number one, you got to have something in place to be able to track that, right? To be yeah. able to see like where are deals getting lost or going cold. And then just doubling down on the effort and the review and the role playing on that specific stage of the sales cycle. I'm a big believer that, you know, you win deals early on in the sales process based on, you know, how deep you go in the discovery, how, you know, deep you go in the questioning, you know, how much of an impact you can articulate that, you know, you're going to make for their business early on. And, you know, if that's not covered early on in the deal cycle, um, you have a much harder time closing those later on. And you typically, if you're not as thorough, then you don't really have anything to refer back to, to keep the deal moving forward. Um, and I think it's common that a lot of reps will skip certain steps or get a little bit excited because they think, oh, this person likes me and we're going to do business. And then, you know, then they don't, they wonder why they've gone dark or cold and, you know, they can't close them. Right. So, um, now something that, um, I think is also I'd like to talk about is so before we hopped on, you said something that's kind of your specialty is, is, is getting into teams and, and fixing things. So mm -hmm. what are the, some of the common things that you've come across when, you know, fixing teams and, and how have you addressed some of those? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a lot of it comes from a scarcity mindset. You know, a lot of times when you need to fix the sales teams, one, you've got to make sure you've got the right people on the bus, right? You know, a great book is Jim Collins, Good to Great. And I love that analogy that sometimes you've got all these players on the bus, but they're just sitting in the wrong seats. And so it's analyzing, making sure you've got the right people and the right seats on the bus. And some people don't belong on the bus and they've got to go. So the person you've got to analyze, who are the players that, you know, unfortunately are not going to make it. You've got to cut them quickly, um, get them out, get people in that can buy into you and your culture. So usually what I try to do is because when you come into a new team, you're going to have older reps that aren't going to care about what you did. They're not going to care about where you came from or what you've accomplished because you don't understand them and their territory and their challenges. Mm -hmm. So one of the best ways to get early buy-in is to grab a rookie and to make them successful. So it's either someone that you bring on early or you hire, and then you just train them to basically do exactly what you did as a successful salesperson. And as that person has early on success by implementing your strategies, by, you know, your follow-up system, the power questions, whatever it can be, that'll start to get, perk the ears of the other people within the office. Well, hey, this person's only been here six months. They already have an outstanding results. You know, how is that happening? So then you start to cultivate kind of a buy-in and a culture around you as a manager. Uh, the, the, one of the other things I see a lot is that, like, hey, when you go to hire more salespeople, usually people go, well, hey, that's going to take from me, you know, mm. now, now you're taking away leads from me because I've got to share more leads as opposed to looking at it. There's enough for all of us to eat. Don't have a scarcity mindset because the more people that we can hire and we can get trained to penetrate the market, then the more it makes the market compete with us, right? If you've got your competitors out there, but you don't have enough people to penetrate the market well, then your competitors are going to just completely overtake you. So one of the things I do is look at, well, what, what's sustainable as far as reps in an office or salespeople in an office? How far away from I in that? 
Where's the training at? So let's get everybody on board with a culture. Then let's start to build out a sales team and attack the market and be mm-hmm. omnipresent. So like when I came to Houston, you know, we've got Houston, Austin, San Antonio, and Louisiana are kind of our territories. And people were just focused on Houston. So we so we just started we went after San Antonio, then we went after Austin, then we went after the Valley, then we went after Louisiana, to a point now where if you're not offering our product, you're gonna be in a bad position. Uh, because your competitor down the street is. And so we're forcing the marketplace to compete with each other using us. But the only way we're going to get there was through creating a good culture, making sure that we had the right staffing, not be afraid to staff. Uh, one, one guy, we took 80% of his block of business away in my office, one of my reps. We took 80% of the people he'd been working away, with away and distributed to other, to other reps in the office. It's the most he's ever done this year with 80% less. Mm. Explain that to me. So we have like a, we work with like, say it's like a, the 80-20 principle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's all it is, is realizing that, hey, this 80% of the people, they may contribute, they may give you an opportunity here or there, but really what you're doing is you're trying to talk to too many people. You're trying to work with too many people. And because you're spread so thin, you're not allowed to go deep in your relationships with the 20% that are really driving 80% of your business. So let's cut the fat of the 80% of people that you're doing business with occasionally, give that to the, some other new guys in the office, let them build those deep relationships with your 80%. You hone in on your 20, mm-hmm. get them to do more, which they did, and now I've got three other guys working that other 80% to going deep on the relationship. So we just expanded the market with stuff that we already had. Mm. Now tell me, uh, for all the sales leaders tuning in, or managers um, that may struggle with something like that, right? So that's that's not an easy conversation to have have with a rep, right? It creates mm-hmm. a lot of uncertainty or sure. fear. So 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 walk me through that conversation and 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 how to deliver that to one of your you know one of your team members. Well, it's a great question because, again, if you tell somebody, hey, we're going to pull you know, this much uh, of your pipeline, they, they immediately freak out, right? But that's, again, it's having – you have to have a clear understanding of where the business is coming from and understanding the metrics. So I just pulled the reports and go, hey, over the last 36 months, you've written in predominantly this area with these people. These other people you've hit maybe once a month or once every other month. You're not working that opportunity efficiently enough, Right. Yeah, I, I, can, I can agree with that. And so mm-hmm. let's double down on these people that you have. We're not going to take everybody, but we're going to take the people that you're not really doing well, you're not calling on, or maybe even people you haven't talked to in six months. What's the, what, what does it serve you by keeping them in your pipeline? Right. Right, because if I get this to somebody else down, down the, the hallway who will get that person to write and to work with us, now it forces your brokers who may be on the fence about um, recommending you for the sale, it forces them to recommend you because there's more competition in the marketplace using our product. Mm. And so it's kind of just getting them to see the light and then, you know, I, you know, to, Hey, just trust me on it. And, um, and, you know, I was lucky that, that the guys did. And I'll tell you right now, uh, year over year, uh, through, through COVID, through the pandemic year over year, we're up $10 million. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Um, but I think like that conversation, one thing that you stood out about that, that stood out to me when you said that is like your, your team's got to trust you, right? So as a leader, as a manager, you, you've got to, it takes time to build 
and maintain that trust to be able to have a conversation like that and then it actually work out as well um even just you know deepens the trust that your team has on you right yeah and and the trust can be tricky right Right. One bad month and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're back at zero. Well, you just know, like everybody else. One of the things <laughs> about the sales managers and, th- and this is like a real double edged sword is that, uh, you know, especially if you're taking over a new territory is they don't always trust that you know what you're doing. And so w- when I first got to, to Houston, I've done this with a lot of my sales teams, whether it was in California or it's been here, is it uh, for the first six to 12 months, I'll sell. I'll, mm. I'll get out there in the trenches. I attended every single meeting for the first 18 months I was here. No rep went out them without me going. So one, they knew that I had their back. But two, they also sold that not only was I helping them with their business, I was writing my own business. So to start the year, I was like number three salesperson in our in our in our in our in our, in our office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've I've completely shifted. I'm not producing anymore at all. But I got that early buy-in that like, oh shit, oh, if Ty can do his job and our job, then. Uh, well, and he's doing it well, then that, that, that it gives my credibility quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, I would say that's pretty unique because, you know, not always, not all great sellers are great managers. Mm-hmm. More know, often than not. <laughs> most, most are not that, that is, that is accurate. Most are not. Um, and the reason why and tons of people that I've talked to agree with this as well is that, um, you know, a lot of times top sellers kind of have their way of doing things. And, and, and that's not necessarily the way that's going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't necessarily have the required skill set to motivate everybody or to coach everybody and, and things like that, where they just think like, hey, this is what's worked for me. Why the heck isn't it working for you? Yeah, well, yes, you got to be flexible and you got to be open. Uh, at my last company, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with the the back to back to back agent of the year, and, and uh, she she was agent of the year out of eight hundred uh, agents. So you know, really prestigious um, award to win so many times in a row. And her follow up system drove me nuts. <laughs> I didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to me. But who was, although I had been a successful agent, who was I to tell her that she was wrong? Where I think a mm-hmm. lot of managers have been like, no, it'll make you better by doing it this way. I just said, hey, this is your system. Obviously, it works. You're very successful. Let's analyze it and see if we can make it 10% better the way you do it. Not the way I do mm-hmm. it, the way you do it. What, what was it about it that you didn't like? Oh, it was, man, it was some Excel uh, labyrinth. Like, I, you know, I like Excel for oh. certain things. But she had it all color coded, and and I'm like, man, just use the fucking CRM. That's what we paid millions of dollars for, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, whatever. She yeah. had her, she had her system down, so it worked for her. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Tizer, it's been great uh, talking with you. Um, before I let you go, tell folks where they can connect with you. Tell them a little bit about your podcast, where they can find that, and anything else. Yeah, cool, Colin. Appreciate it, man. It's been great talking with you as well. Uh, my podcast is Grind, Sell, Elevate. Um, you can find me on all the major Spotify, iTunes, you know, whatever whatever channel you listen to this podcast, you will find me there. Um, I'm big on Instagram, just my name, Tizer Evans. Uh, I'm on there every day um, posting content, sales tips, advice. So those are probably the two best places or LinkedIn to find me. 
Probably easy to find you. Not a lot of Tizer Evans. No, there's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sales hustlers. Thanks right, for tuning in today. Um, go ahead and share the podcast with your friends. Subscribe, write us a review, and we're listening for your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready, set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.